Good morning, Chapel Hill again. Thanks. You know, there's so many reasons that I call you my sweetheart, church. So many reasons that I love you. And uh, I just got a, another dose of that, the way you dive right into the singing and the clapping and trying to do the hand motions. Good for you. Wonderful. And uh, thank you for entering so fully into this celebration of worship. In case you didn't know the guy who stood up and was talking about that, that was Paul Hargreaves. He's a, the director of our children's ministry. And he, along with Pam uh, Gato and Karen uh, Rudenbacher, are doing an incredible job lead, leading our kids. And so I want to say thank you to you, brother, for your good work. And if that wasn't enough treats for you this morning, I have another treat. Our beloved Charlene Payton is here this morning. It's good to see you, my sister. Welcome back. We will be talking about where you can live when you move right back here, because we're tired of you not being gone. I was, um, I was backing out of my garage the other day, and uh, apparently the sensor in my car decided that I was backing out too quickly and did not see the fence that was behind me. And it automatically slammed on my brakes. For the record, I did see the fence behind me. I was not backing out too quickly. But a force that was beyond my control took control and brought everything to a dead stop. In late 2019, Chapel Hill had a head of steam. We were focused on what it would look like for our church to turn our hearts outward, beyond our walls, to, for our members to, to love our neighbors and to love our communities as never before, to love and to serve those around us. And we even put up a map. It's still out there, by the way, a map of our region and invited you to put stickers up to indicate different efforts that you were making to show how we were obeying the call of Jesus to love our neighbors as never before. And we had a lot of momentum going. We had a couple of different sermon series. You were reading a book. I mean, we were growing great guns, and you were giving generously, and you were eliminating debt, and you were serving faithfully, and you were taking risks, some of you risks that you had never taken before, so that your church might be known as a church that is really for our community, really for our region. <clears throat> we were sailing along, and then, like those sensors on my car, COVID slammed on our brakes, and we stopped dead in our tracks, and we couldn't meet, and we couldn't leave our homes, and when we encountered people in public, you sensed there was a nervousness and a distance and even if we wanted to love our neighbors, our neighbors weren't sure they wanted any loving. They wanted us to leave them alone. It was, a, it was a rough season. And yet those days, thankfully, are largely behind us, it seems. We are reopened. People are returning to church. We're gathering again and eating again and playing together again and celebrating again. I mean, VBS, that was so awesome. I, I kept coming in here during the week just to get re-energized by them, just to, to feel what we had not felt in a long time. It was such a blessing. And so it feels like things are returning to normal again. Thank the Lord. And so I want to pick up where we left off back in March of 2020. The fact is that Christians are often known better for what we are against than for what we are for. And we love Gig Harbor, we love Port Orchard, we love our peninsula, and we want to be used by God, I know you do, to bless our communities. 
By your generosity, we've paid off the last of our building debt a year ago, $1.9 million that we eliminated. We've established our Beyond These Walls teams. We're developing our protocols. We have some incredible um, opportunities now to make good on the dream that you have invested in over these last many years and invest in our communities like we have never done. And so we have a, a lot of wonderful stories that we think we just ought to tell. Gospel means good news, and part of our good news is just to be able to celebrate the fulfillment of some dreams that we've had in our hearts for the longest time. And I think you're going to be excited to hear what God is doing through your church and through your generosity and through your service and what He wants to continue to do through you. And so for the rest of the summer, my sermon series is going to be called simply For. For. We're going to talk about what we are for. We're going to talk about what we are doing about it. <clears throat> and our starting point of this new series, actually, is to be reminded of what God is for. Or more importantly, who God is for. My daughter Rachel is a pastor in the Appalachian, Northern, North Carolina. And once in a while, when she comes back, her language reflects it. You might have noticed it. Once in a while, you'll hear, uh, you'll hear a y'all which I'm understood to me, I'm, uh, I'm told to mean, uh, means a bunch of you. And then we'll also hear all y'all, which means every single person. And this morning I want to suggest that we have a God who is for all y'all, for every single person. I'm not sure that we always believe that. I think that we often kind of believe that God is on our side, but that's not what Scripture teaches God so loved the world, was the famous writing of our beloved John. The whole world is what that text seems to suggest. But actually, that theme of God's love for the entire world goes way back, way back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, to the call of Abraham, the man who would become the father of the Jewish people, God's chosen people. And I want you to listen carefully to our text, to what they were chosen for. Our passage comes from Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, if you want to turn with me, the first three verses. <clears throat> now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, now would you take these precious words and bring them <clears throat> to life in our hearts Bring them to life in our lives that we might live out the dream that you have for your people, the vision you have for your chosen people. For we ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen. When I was in elementary school, I loved recess. Who didn't, right? But there was one part of recess that I did not love. In fact, I hated it. It was when we picked teams. Any of you remember those as kind of miserable moments? The two most popular kids, usually the best athletes, would be the pickers. And the rest of us kind of stood there 
begging and waiting and hoping that we would be picked and picked soon. <clears throat> I was usually somewhere in the middle of the group and I was always glad that I wasn't that last poor clumsy kid whose name was John who was always the last guy picked. It really was horrific, wasn't it? It was awful, an awful part of our existence. We all wanted to be picked. We all wanted to belong. We wanted to be valued. We all want to be loved. That's one of the things our VBS, I mean, it's kind of the heart of our Vacation Bible School uh, theme this week was to be reminded of how precious we are in the sight of God. They were, in fact, divided into groups called sapphires and golds and emeralds and, and rubies, all reminding us of the preciousness of each of us. We have been chosen. The Bible uses a lot of chosen language. We know and we talk about the Jews as God's chosen people. And in this text, we are reminded why. God appears to Abram. He's a pagan guy in an ungodly land, and God chooses him out of the blue. We don't know why. We have no idea why God chose Abram. He could have just as easily been the guy who lived next door, but God chose Abram, and then he made an incredible offer. Here's the deal, Abram, he said, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my man, and you're going to go to the land that I'll show you. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. You're just going to have to trust me. And when you get there, by the time you get there, I'm going to begin to grow in you a people, and as a result of you, out of you, I'm going to form this great nation, and you will be blessed, and all the nations of the world will bless you. Now, who wouldn't want to be on that side of a call like that? Who wouldn't want to be on God's team? Who wouldn't want to be chosen by God? Be on the receiving end of, of that kind of blessing. That was the promise of God to Abram. That was the first half of the promise of God to Abram. The first half of the promise to the chosen people of, of Israel. And they loved that half, and they forgot the second half. What was the second half? of the promise, the, cho the choosing. What, why did God choose to bless Abram and his descendants? Listen one more time. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. So far, so good. We like that. Who wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of blessing like that? And then comes part two. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed in you. Did you hear that? Why did God call the Jews to be his chosen, special, beloved, blessed people? So that through them, he could bless all the families of the earth. The Jews were blessed in order to be a blessing and ultimately, as you know, that blessing for the whole world would come in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. The New Testament uses a different word for chosen people. They are called the elect, the elect. And I tell you, honestly, we, we believers in Jesus who are the elect, sometimes we behave like little children. I'm elect and you are not. I am chosen and you are not. I'm on the inside and you are not. And when we do that, when we have that attitude, we fall into the same trap that the Jews fell into. We forget that we were elected 
for something. We have a dear friend to our church, author John Lennox, who came and taught here several times. He puts it this way. If someone walked up to you and said, congratulations, you've been elected, what would your response be? You would say, to what? Right? What have I been elected to do? That's the meaning of election in God's word. We have been elected, we have been chosen to a purpose, not to an office. We have been blessed so that we might be a blessing. We have been saved so that we might offer salvation to others. We have been called into a relationship with the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, so that we might call others into that same relationship. One of the saddest things about the story of the Jewish people is that they forgot the second part of their call. They loved the idea of being God's special people. They loved the idea of receiving a new land and becoming great. They loved the idea of being blessed by God, and they completely forgot that their blessing was for a purpose, that they in turn might bless all the families of the earth. And, and so they became insiders, and everyone else became outsiders. They were the chosen ones, and everyone else were rejects. In fact, they had a derisive name for Gentiles, for non-Jews. They called us the dogs. And we're not talking little puppy here. We're talking mangy critters, dogs. And that, honestly, that contempt can, continues in, to this present day among some. I have been to Israel ten times. In the early days of my trips to Israel, I would do what I try to do when I go to any land. I learn the greeting in, in, their, foreign in their tongue, and I try to greet them warmly, Bogotov or Shalom. And so I did that as I greeted people on the street. But I discovered pretty quickly that every single Orthodox Jew that I tried to greet either ignored me or worse, responded with disgust. I was not one of them, it was clear. My greetings were not welcome. I was beneath them, and so I stopped trying to be nice. Unfortunately, this tendency to divide into the good guys and the bad guys, the ins and the outs, is human nature. Our story is a, a history of tribalism, of arrogance, of elitism, of us versus them, and often in deadly and wicked ways. A few weeks ago, I had the chance to, when I was in Memphis, Tennessee, to visit the Civil Rights Museum. It is housed in the Lorraine Motel, which was, as you know, the site of Dr. Martin Luther King's assassination. And it was a very sobering experience for me. It, it, it walks you through the, the horrors and the abomination of slavery. It walks you through the Civil War, through Reconstruction, for the brutality of, of Jim Crow and the continuing struggle for civil rights for all Americans. And if you visit that place, you have a chance to sit in, uh, on the bus that Rosa Parks sat on. You have a chance to touch the Woolworth lunch counter where some black students and their white friends were abused by the mob. You were, you were introduced to the soaring speeches of Dr. King and listened to his call to humanity and equality. 
His dream that one day his children would be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I was a minority there. There were way more black people uh, than, than there were white people. And frankly, it seemed like it was a, almost a religious pilgrimage for many of them. <clears throat> and as I, I walked through the museum, I thought, I need to set aside my own preconceptions, my own prejudices, and really seek to empathize with these people that I'm a part of. When I saw a staff person wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt, instead of recoiling, I tried to ask myself, or say simply to myself, yes, they do. When I was asked, can you understand why the statue of a, a general who fought to preserve slavery might be painful to the descendants of slaves? And I thought, yes, I can. And when I was asked to consider that my white skin might be an advantage in our culture, I thought, yes, it might. Slavery, the division of whites against blacks, is, I think, the worst example of tribalism in our nation's history, and, and it continues to haunt us to the day. There, there is no doubt. And yet, there are certain voices that suggest that by virtue of my white skin or of my children or my grandchildren, that we are automatically racist and our culture is irredeemably racist. And that feels to me like a betrayal of Dr. King's dream and of his speech. And so instead of continuing the hard and essential work of breaking down our differences and our prejudices and our inequities and our iniquities that divide the races, it seems that we are becoming increasingly segregated again. More us and them. More tribalism. Surely that cannot be good. The same is true politically, isn't it? We're not permitted to, to have our own opinions. If we disagree with a prevailing view, we are scorned or scandalized or canceled. We've lost the ability to carry on passionate but courteous conversations about political matters on which we disagree. I was in a meeting with our life group leaders this last week who said repeatedly that politics have become the taboo topic. It is too divisive. We can't even engage on how our Christian faith might inform our political understandings. More tribalism. And it's true even in our religions. I, when I'm with other Presbyterian pastors who, like me, immigrated from a former denomination, it is so easy for us to begin to speak contemptuously about the other side, to joke and to criticize and even kind of to scorn them. And to forget that these are brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet we still divide ourselves into us's and them's. If we're ever going to be used by God to reach out to and love for and love our community and our, our world, if we are ever going to be for them, we must begin by remembering that God is for them. God loves them. God loves the members of the PCUSA. God loves the members of the political party opposite. God loves every single race. God loves the people of China. God loves the people of Iran. God loves the people of Russia. God loves the people of the Taliban and wishes them to be saved.
And that doesn't mean that his heart isn't broken by rebellion and wickedness. Just as his heart was broken at our rebellion and wickedness. We needed saving. We needed a savior and we got one. But Jesus didn't come just to save Americans. Just to save white Americans. Just to save white Republican Americans. Jesus came to save all the families of the earth. And he has elected us for a purpose to proclaim his love and salvation to the whole world, including and perhaps especially those whom we disdain or mistrust or imagine to be beyond his saving. Pastor Megan has done such a wonderful job of reaching into the Port Orchard community. She is becoming fast known as the pastor of Fort Orchard, in part because she has developed relationships with all kinds of people, including those who are not necessarily a part of her tribe. One man, after a long conversation, said to her, you know, if I'd only known a pastor like you existed when I was younger, maybe I wouldn't have walked away. Pastor Megan, of course, said, well, it's never too late. And of course, it's not. You are the chosen, elect, blessed children of God who have been called to share the love and salvation of Jesus with others, including and maybe especially the others that you'd really rather not see saved. This is not an us and them. It is an us for them. And until we understand that, until we believe that, until we live that way, it will always be us against the world. Thank you that you have called us to be your own when we did not deserve it, that you have chosen to save us when we could never save ourselves, that you have poured out upon us your love and your blessing, though we deserve nothing of it. Thank you that you have called us. Thank you that you have chosen us. Thank you that you have elected us in Jesus Christ to be a part of your family and to enjoy you forever. God, save us from our instinct to hunker down and enjoy the privilege and blessing that comes with belonging to you. Forgive us for that and instead turn our hearts outward. Not only outward to those that are like us, to those who might be part of our tribe, but Lord, give us the, the heart to do the harder thing, to turn our hearts outward to those who are not part of our tribe, with whom we disagree, perhaps violently disagree. Help us, Lord, to reach out to those who are different than us and to listen and to demonstrate the love of Christ. Not to agree necessarily, not to align ourselves, but to show that there is a love and a calling that is far greater than these things that we tend to, that tend to separate us. So in the power of the Holy Spirit, would you give us the hearts that are more like Jesus, who reached across the chasm of sin and difference so that he might draw us to himself. For we pray this through Christ our Lord.
Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org. It's my soul, mountain, high, valley, low.